to the UIAAA Connection podcast. The UIAAA would not be able to broadcast this podcast without the support of our business partners. Thank you to all the gold and silver business partners of the UIAAA, BSN Sports, and our contact, Jeremy Macy. Final Forms AMP with contacts, Julie Renner and Clay Burnett. Granite Canyon Wealth and our contact, Megan Palazzo. Jostens with contact, Molly Shaheen. NCSA, next college student athlete and our contact, Paul Putnam. VNN Varsity News Network and our contact in Utah, Jason Jones. Thanks again to all of the gold and silver UIAAA business partners. Welcome to another edition of the UI AAA Connection. I'm your host, Mark Hutch Hunter. We're pleased to have as our guest today, Craig Perry, CMAA, former assistant director of the Minnesota State High School League and longtime member of the NIAAA. Craig, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm well. I'm glad to be here with you and catch up and uh, talk a little bit about athletic administration. Excellent. Why don't you share with our listeners uh, just a few moments about where you grew up, where you went to college, maybe a little old-time hockey background. Hmm. Well, I grew up uh, in a border town in Ontario, Minnesota border, a little town of about 9,000 called Port Francis, Ontario, and just across the river from International Falls, Minnesota, a paper mill town. And really, there were two things that you could do. You could play hockey to get your way out of working in the mill, or you worked in the mill. And fortunately for me, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to University of North Dakota. Uh, and my running joke is I quickly became a four-string goalie on a three-goalie team, loaded <laughs> with good players, um, but was able to uh, get my degree and move into high school coaching and teaching. I went back to UND as a, an assistant coach in the program and then uh, for four years. Then I spent 11 years in Grand Forks with Grand Forks Public Schools as the district athletic director, two high schools, four middle schools, uh, 13 elementaries, probably about 220 coaches in about 330 positions that I oversaw. And then uh, in the summer of uh, 2005, we made a, a change and I began a, the first year of a 15 year career with the Minnesota State High School League as an associate director. My main uh, daily duties resolved around eligibility and compliance, uh, but I also oversaw tennis and wrestling and hockey. And so as the director of those sports also oversee the state tournaments and Minnesota's boys state hockey tournament is probably one of the largest and best amateur tournaments in the world where over four days we'll routinely bring in about 120,000 fans. So uh, that's what I did up until August of this past year, where after 15 years, I had an opportunity to move in a different direction. I didn't need to retire from the high school league, um, but I had an offer that was uh, really no way to not accept it with the United States, with the U.S. Council for Athletes Health. And it was one of those opportunities where I figured I could then spend the final years of uh, my working years in an area where, which is very special to me. And basically our mission with the U.S. Council for Athletes Health is very simple. We partner with athletic organizations at all levels, youth sport, high school, collegiate, pro, to ensure that the athletes have optimal health, wellness, safety, and well-being. And so I think about every day at the end of the day when I walk up those stairs to bed, what is my job? Well, my job now is I help make sure that participation in athletics at every level is as safe and healthy as it can be. And that's a pretty good thing to think about when you're 
turning in for the end of the day. So that's the brief history of me. I will mention too that uh, with my time in the NI as a high school AD, spent a lot of time in the NIAAA working in different programs and on different committees. And I think uh, Hutch back in probably 98 is when you and I first met at a leadership conference in Las Vegas. Is that correct? That is correct. Was that your first conference? No, my first conference, <clears throat> first year as an AD. So I was, uh, in 1994 was my first year of attending conferences. And I think through last year, through 2020, I'd only missed two. Uh, one, because I unfortunately had to uh, uh, go in and support my doctorate. I had to have my final meeting with my committee to get it approved, which was during the uh, the um, uh, time we had that state association, that national conference back in 2010, and another was was just with some family related. So, basically, it had been like you attending every meeting we could at the national level, and also um, trying to get involved at the regional level and helping states, as you and I both did with the leadership curriculum. Well, let's talk for a moment about that 1998 meeting between the two of us, because obviously it's special to you and I, but explain it from your point of view. We're in a class, I think it's LTC 503, and I'll bet there's maybe 120 people in there. There's three instructors. I mean, it's a huge room, and we're sitting down with obviously people we don't know. Take it from there. Sure. So in 95, the NIAAA introduced their, what they now call their Leadership Training Institute, but they uh, introduced a couple of courses. Uh, They wanted to start a leadership training curriculum. And I was new. I was uh, very young as a young AD back in 1994. I was 30 years old as an AD and I did, I came from the coaching world and I wanted to learn as much as I could. So every opportunity for professional development, I took advantage of that. And then in Las Vegas in uh, 98, it was a huge class, a round table. And I um, always would, whenever I was later on teaching courses or taking the courses, if I was sitting at a table as everybody introduced themselves, I would make sure that I wrote their name down and where they were from and whatever other personal information they gave us as they introduced themselves. And the funny thing is on a shelf in my office, I still have that binder hutch, the curriculum with the CD chart of that round table and you sitting across from me. So tucked inside the flap is the first connection that you and I had, which led obviously to this great friendship and also the opportunity to teach together and to create curriculum together and to just uh, know that there's a phone call away if we ever needed something, which I think is really one of the most important things about what happened during the whole early years of the leadership training program we built relationships that were based on trust and on shared characteristics and on similar ideas and and paths to travel. And we always had someone that was that just a phone call away or a text now, but back then just a self way to say, Hey, I need your help. Or how are you doing? Or what's going on in your neck of the woods? Or we'd really love to have you come and teach for us. So I think the most important thing that I that I was able to gather out of my involvement in the NIAAA leadership training program is relationships and friendships and connectivity. Very well said. I also remember, if I'm not mistaken, Ed Lockwood being at the same table with us. Yeah, Ed Lockwood from Fargo South, Fargo Public Schools. I was in Grand Forks. We were separated um, about just over an hour drive. But when I was a, in my first year as an AD, and I can't thank them enough 
There were three athletic directors much more experienced than I, uh, Ed Lockwood out of Fargo South, Gary Mayhew out of Fargo North, and then Daryl Anderson out of Mandan. He was in the Western part of the state. They took me under their wing. They helped me in my first few years. And then together we started building, uh, Ed and Daryl and I and Gary and a couple others, we started building the NIAAA from really just a we meet twice a year organization with minimal involvement so to a a really strong over a hundred percent uh membership with the NIAAA uh, and and just a, a great organization to provide service to not only North Dakota but other states in our section and a lot of, of, uh, of the people out of North Dakota have gone on to board membership and or the national the national training program as a course leader. So it was really fun for me to be part of um, changing the organization and growing the organization. But I was so lucky to have uh, these guys that would work with me and, and I'd throw an idea out and they'd say, oh, maybe not that one. I'd throw another idea. Out. Yep. Let's, let's look at that one. Mm -hmm. So I, and to this day, they are just some of my most trusted people that I know if I need anything, they're just a call away. Well, that's excellent. You obviously answered my next questions about some of the mentors that would have inspired you, but thinking about North Dakota now, uh, how long ago was it that you were introduced to Todd Olson, who was a recent NIAAA president from North Dakota? So he would have been coming up possibly in your later years or maybe even after you moved him to Minnesota. Well, when I... Uh... When I became the athletic director for Grand Forks Public Schools in 1984, 1994, excuse me, Todd was the head basketball coach at one of the two high schools. And so I got to know him first in his role as a basketball coach. He was absolutely one of our best coaches. He uh, was a state champion. During my time, he became a state champion. I'm not saying that because of me, but I had the chance to be around him and his program as they had that championship year. And uh, when I left the position in 2005, um, Todd had spent a lot of time with me uh, considering leaving coaching and teaching and moving into the athletic director position for Grand Forks Public Schools, which he became the athletic director when I left. And after a few years, he moved to Fargo Public Schools where he became uh, their district athletic director as well. And he was heavily involved in the NIAAA. And I think that was one of the things that I had mentioned. I said, uh, if you get this job, be part of and build relationships with those ADs across the state that are part of the NDI AAA and do as much as you can to get involved at the national level. And of course, right now, Todd's the a recent past president. So he got involved at the state level, got involved at the national level, got onto the board of directors and then uh, became the president. So it's, it's nice to see that someone who I had a, a very good relationship with as an AD coach, but also as a co-athletic administrator later on, was able to get uh, involved to the level where he became president. So it's pretty special. Excellent. Craig, I want you to address this question for our listeners here in Utah and across the country. The job of athletic administrator today, how is it different than almost 30 years ago, uh, let's go 27 years ago, 1994, Grand yeah, Forks. So the one, thing I, the one thing that I see that has changed most dramatically is uh, the desire to have information instantly. And so we are in that social media world. We're in that instant 
contact world with all different kinds of platforms where we can communicate. And I've always said that effective communication is one of the most important skills that a, an administrator can have when you want to build leadership, when you want to build trust. But there is this, this real timeline change and expectation of immediate service. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer than I'll get back to you in 45 seconds. Uh, I also know that uh, where we're at today with participation, there are so many more opportunities for high school kids beyond high school activities and athletics that um, we're seeing a whole different participation that used to be when it was uh, basketball season, that's all you did. When it was hockey season, that's all you did. I was a I was a, a multi-sport athlete growing up from my earliest memories. If it was fall, it was football. If it was winter, it was hockey. If it was spring, it was baseball. And in the summer, we were on the lakes. But now we have the challenges of the non-school participation uh, taking place at the same time as the school participation. So you're having to convince, in some cases, kids to prioritize high school participation over the clubs. And so that's really, really been a big change. Um, and the commitment to the time and effort needed to be able to grow a program has changed as well as the commitment and time and effort from kids to help grow in the program. There's just so many more things for them to do, Hutch, that it, sometimes you have to convince them to be part of it. But what hasn't changed is that participating in high school athletics is still about relationship building. It's still about uh, forming a, a program built on trust and uh, I always say this to whenever somebody asks me, what, how should I be as a coach or how should I be as an athletic administrator? And I say, you really need to know who you are, what, are, what you value, what are the most important core characteristics of how you live your life. And then you share those with your coaches so that your programs can share those common characteristics and build those traits so that your kids who participate in your program can see the importance of that. Because participation is really you know, the numbers are staggering. Only 3% of the students that participate in high school athletics will play or participate after high school. So it's right at that 3% mark. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to take care of 90%, 97% of our high school participants for life, not for a scholarship, not to play at a D1, D2, D3 school or whatever. We're trying to create a uh, an environment where we can help prepare them for life. And if you base that on your, on your characteristics and traits that are important to you, then you've really done your job. So that part hasn't changed. Making sure you can get kids into your program and keep them in your program. That's the part that uh, I know from talking to people is one of the most difficult things. And I, I think you see the same thing in, in Utah as well. Absolutely. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that. Let's, let's talk just a little bit more about your time with the Minnesota State High School League, because that was, what, like you said, 15 years. Yeah, it was uh, an incredible opportunity for me at the time. Um, I, as I mentioned, I'd been a district athletic director, and uh, I had been really, really traveling a lot, as you were, Mark, uh, when we were with, uh, you know, teaching all over the U.S. and the leadership training program, really got to become good friends with a number of people in Minnesota who also were involved actively at the national level. And uh, some, uh, a few of them came to me, like Pete Feldman and Jim Baker. You remember those two that were oh, yes. immersed in, and you and Pete spent so many years together as uh, executive directors of your state associations. Uh, uh, we, um, 
you know, we had connected and they said, hey, there's this job opening. We'd love to have you come to Minnesota. And so I was fortunate enough to get the position. Uh, in my time with the league, you know, I, I, like I'd mentioned earlier, my main role was eligibility and compliance. And quite often the answers that come out of the league office on eligibility and compliance are not the answers people want. And so More than quite often, I would say. <laughs> yeah, quite often. You know, that's the negative side of it. And you had to really learn not take it personally and and that was really difficult because uh, I remember in my first couple of years you do your job you want to do it the best you can and you want to help people as much as you can but at the end of the day sometimes what they want cannot be achieved and so I really broke it into two <clears throat> which helped me to really take care of the negativity because there is negativity with giving people an answer they don't want to hear one group would say Okay, Craig, I get it. That's the rule. You know, and my role with the high school league was I was the gatekeeper of the rules, policies, and bylaws. I was the individual that had to understand the intent, understand the interpretation and the application, and then share that with a principal, a superintendent, an AD, whomever it is, a parent, to say, here's the intent of the rule, here's how we uh, interpret it, and here's how it is applied. And that those two categories would go like this. I could work with an AD and the AD would say, well, it's not the answer I know the family wanted. I understand completely the rules. I appreciate you taking the time looking into this. Thanks for your help. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you soon. The other one would be, I don't like the answer. That's the wrong answer. Therefore, you're a very, very bad person, Craig. And I've cleaned it up a little bit. And so yeah, I'm sure you had to learn to not take it personally. However, there are a number of people that would personify the decision and say the evil Craig Perry or the evil high school league is, doesn't want us to participate, which wasn't the case. I just had to say, you know, my role was here are the rules. Here's how you apply them. So, uh, you know, for me, though, the whole compliance and eligibility piece was about service, was about service. How can we help schools get kids eligible? How can we get participants eligible? What can we do to educate them? And so, that was the flip I took on it. Instead of it just being about compliance, I tried to make compliance and eligibility about service. How can we best help you to grow your programs and to make sure that your programs follow the rules, policies, and bylaws? Because as you know, Mark, there's an incredible turnover rate right now in athletic mm -hmm. directors, and we've seen it over the last decade. We believe uh, we're seeing about 25 to 30% turnover rate in Minnesota you know, so on almost an annual basis. So when you have 500 plus member schools, you've got a lot of new ADs every year. And so whether you're brand new, you've been in the job for 20 days or you're an athletic director that's been in the position for 20 years, there are still rules and policies and bylaws you don't understand. And so that was my role. How can I best serve them mm -hmm. to make their jobs easier every day? What can I take off their plate? How can I work with them and then uh, help them just be able to help their kids and grow their programs. The most important side, so that was compliance and eligibility. For me, the public display of what we really did were the state tournaments. And I happened to have with state hockey, the, you know, the cherry on the top, because it is what Minnesota is known as. Iowa and Indiana are, are to basketball and Texas was and is to football. Minnesota is to hockey. And it was very special for me to be able to have that and work with that team to make sure we provided the absolute best experience, regardless of the scoreboard. Every time a team came into the tournaments in whatever sport, when I spoke to the kids or the coaches, I would say, 
I want you to remember getting to state is going to be a memory for the rest of your life. And the scoreboard matters. I get it. But when you're all said and done, regardless of the scoreboard, I want you to remember you've had the best experience you could in your high school life when you came to our state tournaments. And so that was really what we tried to do. Let's create the best impression we can. So we give them that positive lifelong memory. And I think when you look at that and you've been involved, especially now with uh, your grandchildren that are participating at, in state tournaments and at the state championship level, you understand how important that is because kids won't remember. Most of the kids won't remember the score. They won't remember the, the statistics, but they will remember the bus ride to the XL Energy Center. They will remember when they walked into the arena where the Minnesota Wild play. They will remember when they sat on that team bench. They will remember what it was like to to skate on the ice with 20,000 fans in the building. And regardless of the scoreboard, they'll have that memory for the rest of their life. And in every sport that I had, that I was overseeing and directing, tennis and wrestling, same kind of thing. Whether it's 500 people or it's 2,000 people or it's 20,000 people watching you, make it this championship experience. And so that was one of my goals. And I'm pretty proud of our tournament teams because I think we accomplished that. Yeah, well said. I smile a little bit when you talk about <clears throat> the compliance and the evil Craig Perry and the evil high school association because I don't, I hear, the, I don't hear the Craig Perry, but I hear the same thing here in Utah. It's got to be the same in every state because there's got to be, Universal. Yep. there's got to be some protocol, there's got to be some standard uh, for the well being of the kids. So it's just not this renegade program. So I appreciate Absolutely. you sharing that. Let's go back and talk a little bit about, oh, maybe the 10 years when we were really got to see each other at the coordinators conference every September before you took the Minnesota job and uh, so the successes you had in building the leadership training in North Dakota. Well, again, I was fortunate to be part of a, a core group of guys that I, I, I kind of had a vision. I said, I went to my first, uh, annual ADs. We'd meet twice a year, but we had our big annual meeting always in the fall out in Bismarck, North Dakota. And it was a business meeting. And I remember in the fall of uh, 94, we all traveled out together. All the ADs that I'd mentioned earlier, there were six of us from the East that were going to the West to Bismarck for the, this day of meetings. And we would always travel together. And I got to the meeting and I thought there's got to be more than talking about how much money is in the, in the bank account and and um, what proposals are going to be coming before the board of directors. And I was really thinking more along the lines of professional development, which as you know, was right about the time of the NIAAA focusing mm -hmm. on leadership and building their entire curriculum from one course now, geez, what is it, Mark? Is it 50 some courses? I it's think? Uh, 51 or 52, yeah. including the international. Yeah, and so I got involved, um, you know, as I mentioned, uh, when I was, and the whole way that the national training was set up was, which is a great model, and it's unbelievable that it's built on volunteerism still to this day, but courses would be written in topics uh, in different categories of, of uh, athletic administration uh, by a number of people across the nation. And then the goal was once you take the course, have the train, then take the instructor's course, and then teach this curriculum as much as you can within your state. And that's what we did. Uh, Ed Lockwood and I became the two that were really on the front of the leadership training program. We had a few others that really helped us, but we would go anywhere at any time to teach in North Dakota. 
whether you had three people or 30, we would uh, go and, and present a course for you. And then like you, you and I got into the national instructors, mm -hmm. became national chairs, and spent mm -hmm. a lot of time teaching all over the U.S. as this whole movement of the leadership training program and national professional development grew. So I was at the ground level in North Dakota, uh, helping to build um, their programming and to build a team of our, our faculty of instructors, stayed connected with them obviously after I left for Minnesota and still stayed connected with the NIAAA when I took the position in Minnesota, but really was able to help build a professional development network where we brought it, we now have in North Dakota an annual conference, which they didn't really have before, a spring conference like you have in St. George, uh, more professional development opportunities throughout the year, and um, a lot of ADs getting involved at the national level, which really hadn't happened before. So I'm pretty proud of the fact I was part of a team that grew that at the start, and to see that it is still flourishing and growing even and even more expansive than it was even last year. So it's pretty neat to look at that and see that, as you brought up earlier, you know, Todd Olson becomes the president, and we have a number of people who are on national faculties from North Dakota. So really neat to see that and pretty proud of that. It brings to mind the time we spent together with Dr. John and some others with what became the 799, which is what is now the QPA. And I, I just look back fondly on that experience because I know it was a lot of work. I remember being in Indianapolis when it was 10 below in February and, and those types yeah. of things. But those are the, even though we're both in the 790 now that, and that's a course of its own and it's become a life of its own with the QPA. I think that's something that's very, very important. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing because once I got involved as an instructor and then I became a, um, a national instructor with mine at the time was with 505 mentoring and my graduate work for my master's was uh, the creation of a coach to coach high school mentoring program so it was something near and dear to my heart but I volunteered even further as a with an English major as my background I said I'd be more than happy to edit or to write or uh, create and uh, Dr. John Olson took me up on it and so for about 10 to 12 years everything that Dr. John wrote, and he was basically our curriculum guru, Hutch, as you oh, know, absolutely. <laughs> everything that Dr. John wrote, uh, drafts would go through me. So here it was, uh, the stoic Norwegian sending his documents to the young Canadian for, I would always laugh, say, hey, do you want me to use the Queen's English or do you want me to use Norwegian English? Yeah. <laughs> I had a chance to be involved with the uh, as he created and as we revised. And then when new courses were taught, because uh, I had been part of the writing process, often John and I would teach a portion of it with Dr. with Dr. John. And so that helped me even get more involved. And then you mentioned a course that you and I spent a long time with several people putting together that quality program course where you really can do a full assessment of all the things that you're doing in your school and in your school district to support your athletic and activity programs. And so, but the best part of that wasn't the creation of the curriculum. The best part of that is that, you know, is the extension of the relationships, you know, and the connectivity. You and I had known each other obviously prior to working on that curriculum, but new people came in, 
and they became important people in our network of people. And I really think that's the key to survival today as an athletic administrator is you have to have a network of trusting people that you can work with and go to and bounce ideas off of. And sometimes it's something simple as, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I think I really got it, but I just need you to let me know if I do, you know, just to have someone there or a group of go-to people uh, that you can say, hey, I trust you. Can you help me out here? And let's move and let's create. You know, I think that was the fun part. The creation was the fun part. I know for you and I. Yes. Take the idea, the concept and bring it into it and create a course out of it. Yeah, it was it was just a great time. And I, I finally look back on those times. Let's talk for a moment. I realized that you didn't spend your full three years on the NIAAA board, but maybe just a couple of comments or a story here or there about the time you're able to spend because most people, you and I are fortunate that, that we've served on that board, but many of the rank and file will probably never get that chance because there's only three or four people that go on it every year. So share with our audience um, what a special experience that is. It, it, it really was. And, um, you know, there's two ways to get on the board. You get on the board through geographical rotation. So each of the sections has representation. And so in, at that time, I, we, I was still in Section 5, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, you know, that's our group. So you had a, uh, a geographical rotation. But as you and I both did, we both ran as an at-large. And uh, I was fortunate enough, um, we were against Section 5 against Section 4, which and the National Conference was in, Indian, in Indianapolis, which was their home section. And... Uh, we stole the victory. So mm -hmm. I was elected to the board um, through that process. And, um, you know, I knew a lot of people on the board because I was so heavily involved with the leadership training program. And this is back in the days when Frank Kovaleski was the executive uh, director of the NIAAA and had a lot of really, really you know, and, and also created many new relationships with people on the board. And uh, it was when I was offered the job with the Minnesota State High School League, the final hurdle for me, and it was really, really a difficult decision, was that I knew that if I took the job with Minnesota, I'd have to leave the NIAAA board. Uh, I, I, you know, there were board members, and of course, Frank and, and Bruce Whitehead at the time was an assistant with the, the NIAAA, and, you know, they had looked at things and, and tried to see if there was a way I could remain on the board, and unfortunately couldn't. Um, so I had a couple of years on the board that uh, was very appreciative. I would have loved to have fulfilled my term, but on the flip side of that, I was able to do, to do something and still to this day is very important to me. They said, okay, so you're from North Dakota, you were at large, who would you like to replace you? So I was able to pick the person to replace me and go on the board. And I picked the person from my state that had the most impact on me and who was my mentor and who continues to this day to be my mentor. So I was able to give Ed Lockwood a call and say, hey, good news, bad news. Well, maybe for you, good news, good news. I said, I'm on board because of my new position with Minnesota. They've allowed me to pick who I want to fill my position and you're it. And so it was a pretty special moment for me to be able to say to my mentor and really good friend, um, here's, here's your chance to be on the board. And, um, and he, it was uh, one of those really heartfelt moments that still to this day is very important to me. That's, that's an incredible story. And I, I think now when you mentioned Ed, 
back to that 98 story in, in Las Vegas. Who would have thought of the three of us sitting there, my second national conference, maybe your fourth national conference, and there's three of us never met. And from that table, there's three of us that served on the board. I mean, that's an incredible, I don't know if the word coincidence isn't right, but that's an incredible story. Yeah, and not only serving on the board, but uh, committed to a career of service to committee work, strategic planning committees. Um, I, uh, you know, I was on the publications committee, gosh, I think maybe for 18 years. Uh, Ed, Ed still is uh, connected with the uh, NIAAA in um, the certification process. Yeah, so the three of us from that table, it's, it's kind of an epiphany when you say it like that, Hutch, that we were, and this, this is the whole neat thing about the leadership training program. It's available, it's not mandatory. And so when we went to the national conference in those early years, there were a number that took the courses and there were a number that didn't. And then the evolution of the national conference moved to, uh, we still have the workshops and, and we still have the general assemblies, but on the front end and the back end, and now during, it's the Leadership Training Institute. So professional development at its highest level now is the compass that guides the NIAAA. And there were the three of us in Vegas in probably year two of multiple course offerings. Back in the days when you hoped that the, the conference gift was a big suitcase because you had all these three-inch binders. Binders to take home. to take home with you. Remember that? Would be, uh, I do. It would be checkout day. And then you go to the airport and you have to make sure you have your bag because everybody's got their conference luggage with all of their binders, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. And, you know, and it was crazy because back then we were in a paper world. You know, mm -hmm. Everything was these paper curriculums. And yeah, to, to think back that you and I and Ed still are actively involved with the NIAAA is uh, pretty special. Yeah, it is. Let me ask you this. If you had two suggestions, and I know you've already given many today, but if you had two suggestions for a new athletic administrator, by new, I mean one to four years, two things that you absolutely must do in order to be a success, what would those two things be? Oh, it's simple. Be true to you and build relationships. Because, you know, you and I were both former coaches, athletic administrators, we have the nasty habit of every time we go to a, a sporting event, whatever level it's at, we're not necessarily a fan. We're looking at coaches. We're looking at management of the event. We're looking at interactions with coaches and kids, all those things that we spent our entire lives doing. And so I really think that the, the be true to you is the most important. You know, the old English teacher in me, the, the Shakespeare quote is to thine own self be true. You know, I can give you the rest of it, but I, I won't bore you with the rest of it. But if you stay true to yourself and let people know what your character traits and values are that are important to you, then when you're in those critical moments where you have to make critical moment decisions, then those decisions and the people involved will know that it's going to be based on the, the most single, most important category, I believe, is trust. So when you stay true to you and who you are, and you share your character traits and values, one of which is building trust, then be it a good or a bad situation, you know, you're, you're going to have a positive outcome. The other one is relationship building. I, I really think that connectivity and relationship building is what builds organizations and builds people. 
if not for Ed and Gary and Daryl and a couple others taking me under their wing and saying, all right, here's how we do things. And what, how, what, what, you know, they really ask the question, what can you bring to this? What would you like to do? And build those relationships. So here I am. I met Ed in 94. I met Daryl in 94. I was in Phoenix visiting my daughter a month ago and my wife and I, Holly, and my daughter, Chloe, we went out and had lunch with Ed and Terry up in Sun City West. You know, mm. that's where they were. And we left the Twin Cities for a week to see our daughter. And I made sure I went and saw my good friend and mentor and his wife. And so relationship building is the key. And you need that not just for your professionalism. You need that personally. You need to have, it, it's an interesting coincidence. You know, as I mentioned, I retired from the high school league. Uh, in August after 15 years. I'm still doing some work for them and still staying connected. And one of the associate directors, a really good friend of mine, Bob Madison, we were just talking yesterday about relationship building and, and it, program administration. And then he came up with a term of the, the 3 a.m. call. He said, you know, I was doing some thinking over the weekend. He said, many years ago as an AD, my superintendent said to me, who's your 3 a.m. call? And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean by a 3 a.m. call? He said, it's 3 a.m. You are in a really, really critical moment. Who are you calling? And so that conversation yesterday with Bob was, Craig, I just got to tell you, you know, we've been working together for four years. We have a wonderful working relationship, a great friendship based on trust. He said, you need to know that you're my 3 a.m. call. And I thought about that and I said, you know, you and I both have a handful of friends that we're really close to or colleagues, but mainly friends that we know who our 3am call is. And I said to him, I said, Bob, you know, what? that's the same for me. I said, if I'm a, it's 3am in the morning and I'm in a, a situation where I need help, you're one of my 3am calls. And so I sh it just happened yesterday afternoon, late afternoon, Mark, we were talking about a bunch of things going on at the high school league and with our kids, you know, those kinds of conversations you and I have. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, it's really fitting that we're here. We are talking today. So maybe that's a way to think about it is that relationship building, and you're not going to have a lot of the people that you identify as your 3 a.m. call, but those people who are your 3 a.m. call, that relationship is unconditional. It's non-judgmental, and again, based on trust. And so in your days of uh, being an athletic administrator, and as you step away from that and just being you and being a person who has connectivity to others, Think about those character traits that lead to that 3 a.m. call. And I think that's really important. Relationship building is truly the key in anything you do. Uh, I've got two college graduates, and I've got one who is a, a freshman this fall in college. And what I've always tried to tell them is stay true to you, understand what's really important, and build relationships on trust. You know, from an administrative perspective, I, I like to throw this one out, and I don't know where I found it or got it. And I can't even remember who it's attributed to, but one I love is change happens at the speed of trust. And so when you're in administration and when you're working with coaches and you got to make it, you got to sit down with a coach and say, you know, a couple of areas we want to work on. Nothing happens unless from a change perspective without trust. So change happens at the speed of trust is one that I really like to use as well. You know, I've said, Build relationships, have great, be, be true to yourself and understand what is important to you. And then change is built at the speed of trust. When we have trust, then we're going to have good things happen. Very well said. Let's finish up with this final question. What question should I have asked you that I failed to ask? Oh, gosh. Uh, 
I don't know. That's a tough one. I, I know that you told me you'd be asking me that one at the end of this. Um, yeah, I'd like to claim that as my own, but I stole it from Dan Rather. <laughs> yeah. Well, you better, you, for some people, you have to identify who Dan Rather is. Yeah, the there you go. For me, you know what? Maybe I looked at the list of questions you sent me ahead of time, but um, the, the probably I would look at the most important people in my life is a question. You know, how who shaped me? And, uh, you know, I had a Scottish grandmother that... Um, tried to teach me to, at a very young age what it meant to be a gentleman and what it meant to be a student. She was a former teacher. Uh, I had a, my mom who had a, we had a, mom and dad had a really difficult marriage that ended up in a divorce when I was in the ninth grade after multiple separations. And I was the oldest of three boys. I had a, a mom who was very strong that would, uh, in an environment that was not always safe, looking after three boys. So I took some of those things. And then I just happened to um, fall in love and marry the dream of my life, who my wife, Holly, who became for the first time, let me be me and help me be the compass that I needed to be to travel in a different direction, which, you know, I've already talked about Daryl and Ed and Gary from a professional perspective, but from a personal perspective, we all continue to grow and we always have to build our relationships as you and Deb do and you do with your your siblings and with your family and with your grandkids and with your kids to find that person that really helps you be true to yourself. You know, um, I think that's without question, that's Holly, my wife. And so um, I look at that and then I just, uh, I'm just uh, hopeful that with all the people I'm, I'm a little bit of everybody, you know, there's a lot of Mark Hunter in me because I mm. spent time with Hutch. I, you know, and you and I have talked about this before. When we are in situations with people that we really think are good people, we we borrow some of the things that they do and, and some of the things that are important. And so, um, you know, working with you or working with Ed or, you know, with my wife, Holly, helps me be a better overall person. And at the end of the day, that makes me a better person for the high school league or in my job now with the U.S. Council for Athletes Health or as a husband or as a dad or as a friend. And so I think that's the final question is, how did you become you? Um, it was because of a lot of great people that helped guide me through the years. And I, I use that and say that, um, you know, as a former English teacher, you never want to say that you're going to be a plagiarizer, but I do take the best <laughs> and, and I look at how they do things and say, you know, that's really important to look that way. But I still think at Mark, it comes back to relationship built uh, on being true to yourself and uh, being true to trust. I mean, that's the key. Absolutely. Very well said. Well, thank you, Dr. Craig Perry, CMAA. Thank you so much for being our guest on the podcast today for our listeners out there. We hope you tune in again next Friday for another episode of the UIAAA Connections. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Craig.